Welcome, everyone, to this week's Really Big Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Chizuk, joined, as always, by my wife and co-host, Acronym. Hi. And we are back for, uh, this is our second consecutive week. This is like, actually have a guest, do you mean? No, I mean just that we're back. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yay. Woo. D- I, I didn't crash into anything. Yay. Yay. We're not at the hospital tonight. Yay. yay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to hit this at the top because I always forget and hit it at the at the back end. If you enjoy what you're hearing, make sure you head on over to patreon.com backslash really big fan pod. That's where for five bucks a month you can get a bonus uh, podcast known as the double feature. I actually just put up today uh, the uh, latest episode where me and Mike Pandoff talk about our Zack Snyder double feature. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I am not a fan of Zack Snyder. He is a fan of Zack Snyder. Well, he may not have been after one of those movies. He may not have been. <laughs> so uh, you have to, like I said, it's five bucks. Then you get uh, you get ad free versions of this show as well. I say that as if uh, there are ads in our show, which I, I signed us up for ads, but there are still no ads. In our oh, show. yeah. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what the next that. step after that is to actually get the ads in the show. Well, you guys are you guys are winning right now. So, yeah, it's fine. Totally. <laughs> Uh, and as always, follow us on social media at Really Big Fan Pod. With that out of the way, let's get the show started with some headlines. I wonder if the thing is gonna get weird about you doing <laughs> I was, that. I was trying to. Was it Jean Ralphio that? <laughs> headlines. Headlines. Oh, I didn't read. Did you know Tom DeLonge has a movie? Yes. Okay. I saw this in the news, and I know you're a big Blink-182 fan, so I figured I would bring it up. I don't know anything about it beyond that there was a movie. Right. Well, Polygon interviewed him about the movie, and uh, according to him, it is about... uh, I just had it in front of me, and then I scrolled like an idiot. Dummy. Yeah. Uh, It's a coming-of-age story about a group of friends poking around the fringes of the universe, or at least the greater SoCal area. Through the haze of maybe a bit too much pot, the teens uncover government cover-ups, otherworldly creatures, and the meaning of friendship. So it just sounds like the the story of Blink-182. Stranger Things as told <laughs> by Tom DeLonge. I'm fine with that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's on. It's in theaters right now, and I guess video on demand, so I'm sure we'll see it. You'll you'll sit down to watch it, and I'll be like, what do you watch? Yeah, Jacob Gayampa and Sam Nork went... Uh, okay. It was the first night that I was shooting for for house for my new venue, so I didn't get to go. Uh, all right, but uh, they they were getting. They told me at like twelve that day, like, "Hey, we're gonna go do this. Do you want me to get you a ticket?" And I'm like, "Dude, I gotta work." Yeah. <laughs> so I missed out. So my one scary movie that I actually got around to watching during the Halloween season this year, uh, you, I was telling you about it last weekend. I pulled up Barbarian because it's been on Max since it came out mm-hmm. and i just hadn't gotten around to it real strange picture even stranger picture for a video game company to decide they want to uh, adapt into a video game but that's exactly what diversion 3 entertainment has announced that there will be a barbarian video game i can see where there could be i just don't know why you would want to was it that was the one where like somebody was living somewhere and then somebody else showed up? Yeah, so it starts off with this woman showing up at an Airbnb in the middle of like downtown Detroit and the whole uh you know, every other building on the block is burned out. Yeah. But there's this just really nice house in the middle of it. And 
uh, she comes to find out somebody else is already there. Yeah. And they've double booked the Airbnb. So they decide he, he's like, I'll sleep on the couch and you sleep in the bed and, and whatever. And then they, they talk a little bit and they have kind of a nice, a nice little meet cute. Yeah. Um, and then she wakes up in the middle of the night because he's like talking in his sleep on the couch. Yeah. And, uh, and she realizes like she closed and locked the bedroom door and it was open uh. when she woke up. She's like, this ain't great. So um, she goes for a work interview the next day. He goes out to do something and then she comes back and he's not there and she hears like a noise in the basement. Mm. So she goes to check it out. And while she's in the basement, of course, the door closes yeah, itself. Yeah. Uh, and then she finds this uh, this cord in a hole in the wall. And when you pull it, a secret door opens behind a bookshelf. Mm-hmm. And it, it actually, it was really funny. I, I, you know, I'm spoiling a little bit of it for you, but she pulls the thing and she sees the open wall and she looks inside it and goes, nope. Yeah. And then walks away. But then she's stuck in the basement and she doesn't have anything else to do. So she sets up like uh, uh, a mirror so it can shine the sunlight from the window yeah. and the corridor. And like, there's a hole underground there. There's a room with a, a bucket and a bed and a camera in it uh and it's it's that and i won't go any farther but but it does uh it does get uh pretty pretty good and pretty creepy it, it it's fun because that's like the first half hour 45 minutes of the movie and then it jumps ahead like three weeks yeah and the guy who owns the airbnb has to come back and he's played by justin long and he finds the place and i was telling you like the first thing he, he thinks when he sees the the uh the extra stuff is like first thing he does is go upstairs and Google can you count square footage into home sales because mm. he's gonna sell the the Airbnb. Gotcha. Um, you know that reminds me of the or like the the fact that there was like a house and then a bunch of blown out houses around it. Yeah. Have you ever seen the music video for Saturn Bars for Gorillas? I feel like I, I have not had to have shown it to you at some point, but they they're in Detroit. Yeah. And they're driving a car that has a Michigan plate on it or whatever. And they pull up to this random house that's sort of dilapidated to squat for the night. Okay. And then they have like the worst time ever. So it's got like all of the characters from the gorillas in the house. And they're basically like hallucinating through the whole thing. Interesting. And then when they get up in the morning, they're just like, oh, all right, let's go get breakfast. Right. (laughs) But it's it's pretty funny. There is a, a creature that's somewhat supernatural, not like you know like a ghost or anything like that but there's a creature with like supernatural strength that uh i can see them making it kind of a hide and seek type of game yeah where you have to hide from that thing because that's basically what happens in the movie this is weird that it's called barbarian it is wild i actually had to look up why is this movie called it was a placeholder Mm -hmm. uh title and then he just never changed it that's dumb let's see once he put it together yeah but yeah that's going to be uh uh that's a video game we can look forward to and speaking of other video games that we can look forward to, I've played exactly one of the Yakuza games. Mm. Uh, that now They're now called Like a Dragon, but Sega has been putting these games out that are essentially like Grand Theft Auto or Saints Row or something like that, but it's set in this area of Japan, this real area of Japan. Yeah. And like, you're this member of the Yakuza, so you have to do all these goofy missions. Like you would I remember you playing that game. Yeah, you but... like, have to, like fight someone's boyfriend or something yep like different things like that and you like you manage a real estate firm uh or a a hostess bar and like there's all these weird mini games well the next one coming out like a dragon infinite wealth one of the mini games is literally just animal crossing (laughs) 
That's funny. You just ride a dolphin to an island where you uh, pick up uh, stuff and you make furniture and you make friends with villagers on the islands. That's bizarre. <laughs> they are wild games. They're also very long games. Like I could tell when I was playing it that I was like, oh, I could lose six months to this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I could I could see how I I would become obsessed with like I got to get the I got to get the horse racing perfect. I got to beat the, all the kids on the block at rock paper scissors. Right. I dig that. Yeah. Uh one of the other things I had in the um in the news is if you ever wanted to run an ad on SmackDown, oh god. According to Ad Age, right now if you wanted to write, run an ad on SmackDown, it would cost you $51,077. All right. Um, up says it's uh for Brandon Thurston. Uh, had tweeted this out, said it's up 8% from about 47,000 last year. And SmackDown is second only to ABC's Shark Tank among Friday night broadcast shows. Hmm. So, uh, Well, yeah, because people will actually stay home and watch wrestling versus, you know, do other things. So that makes sense. That tracks. Yeah. But yeah, if you, if you got uh, a little over 50 grand sitting around, you want to advertise whatever you've got on SmackDown. We do not. You're going to have to get a lot more Patreon subscribers before we can advertise on SmackDown. <laughs> it just, all it makes me think of is that one time that Jolly Rancher had that commercial. That keep said, on sucking. It Jolly Rancher, keep on sucking. And it ran one night. One week. SmackDown yep. on a Tuesday. And then we never saw it again. They even had a sponsorship. And Michael Cole had to read. Yep, yep. Jolly Rancher, keep sucking. on sucking. Yeah, and and that was that was it. Yep. I had like a screenshot of like the graphic, and like it's one of those things that just like now it just doesn't exist. Whatever happened to that? I don't know. I never saw it again. I'm like Google this Jolly Rancher. There's not an E in there. Keep on sucking. <laughs> uh, the ad is still there. The ad is still there. But it was still a thing. Yeah. yeah. December 3rd, 2018, it was posted to YouTube. And then that that was that. I'd... Wild. <laughs> Speaking of random things, or I guess it's not random things, but I don't have a good segue for this. Um, so the, the most recent episode of Loki, at the end of it, and I'm not going to spoil what actually happened, after the end of the episode the Loki Instagram account wiped everything on their page. And wow. so there's nothing on their Instagram account right now except one video. And if you watch the episode, you'll know what it is. But if you right. don't, you don't. But Miss Minutes is standing there wagging her finger on a temp pad and it says, ah, 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 access denied. <laughs> we don't know what's going on. And according to some of the articles that I looked into, um, the press didn't get anything episode-wise beyond that. past the fourth so, one. So, so credits and or, or all these critics and stuff like that only got the first four episodes. So they don't know what's going on either. Right. So nobody can speculate. Nobody can like it, it ended in a very abrupt way, and we don't know what's happening. So if you're not caught up on Loki, you should probably get caught up because it's got really it's been interesting. pretty good. Yeah, honestly, it's been my favorite TV show in this wave of TV shows. Yeah. You know, like... I don't know, Moon Knight we, was good. We got... To, but I mean, like, the more recent ones. Like, uh-huh. But, like, um, they, after you're done with that episode, it's like, hey, do you want to watch Ms. Marvel? And I was like, dude, that is not even comparable. That is close. Not even comparable. Pretty. It's not that it's bad. It's just not... You could have recommended, like, a Thor movie that he was in or something. Not literally, you could have recommended Moon Knight or something. Yeah. 
But instead, it's like, oh, yeah, you want to watch this, like, teen wolf drama about Miss Marvel versus, like, this dark... Now it's a horror. It's a horror TV show. She is in the, like, next uh, I know. That's more than likely why they did it, but it still was very silly to recommend that. It's like when they kept recommending Eternals. Oh, my God. Once we were watching, we were like, never. Like, they're like, you... Watch Eternals, watch Eternals, watch Eternals, and then finally it was like... Final fucking watch it so you'll stop recommending it to me. <laughs> and so, it's really dumb. So you know the 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 I'm t- I'm trying to figure out a way to dance around this without spoiling it. I mean it's almost a week old at this point, but you know what happens to the one character and how I said it's similar to what happens to a character in Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. I was wrong. Yeah, because I watched Quantum Mania again. Mm-hmm. It actually happens to a Scott Lang in Quantum Mania. During a particular scene. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So I was like, sense. oh, okay. Yeah. It actually threads better yeah, yeah. than what I was thinking. Was that makes on. more sense than before, yeah. Yeah. Because we thought it was a multiverse of madness. Right. And Soros has a Quantumania reference, but it would make more sense for it to be Quantumania given the connections. Yes, the Jonathan Majors played Kang in the movie. <laughs> yes. As well as many characters in... in uh, it's weird is that they don't call him Kang. They keep calling they him... They keep he just calling him... I think it's because he introduces himself in Quantumania as Kang, mm-hmm. and the people at in in the Loki show have never actually gotten his name, seen that guy referenced as Kang the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. So they they only know him as He Who Remains. Yeah, including the machine too. The machine yeah. calls him He Who Remains as right. well. And like I said, like if you've watched it, you probably know what we're talking about. If you don't, you're probably like, "What the hell right. is this?" So, but honestly, they're all variants of each other. It's been really, really good so far. And like I said, it's it's been my favorite out of the TV shows lately. Like I haven't been this jazzed about one of the Marvel TV shows since Moon Knight, probably. Right. So, I definitely would recommend watching it. He's still looking up the, the thing. Sucking. They keep on sucking. Yeah, according to this article, like it did really well as a campaign. Yeah, but it just like it. It only was what? on SmackDown. It was on SmackDown for one week. And Something was... tells me that that like was one of those things where like it it would come and then people would be like, uh, you know what? That's maybe not good for children to see. Yes, but. I don't know. It's funny. Yeah, it it definitely got our attention because it certainly uh, did. Tim from Bathroom of the Future was here when it happened. Yep, and we all were like, "Whoa!" <laughs> In the world, phone sucking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last thing I got in the news is more of a, a personal thing, uh, but the uh, I, we've played Rock Band a bunch of times on stream, mm-hmm. and part of the reason for that is because there was a website called uh, the C3 Creator, Creators Collective that continued to track songs for Rock Band that you could uh, you could put on your Xbox and stuff. They have shut that uh, particular site down mm. and moved basically all of it to a new site called Rhythmverse, which uh, supports Guitar Hero World Tour and Clone Hero and something called Yarg that I'm not familiar with. And Yeah, I saw that in Yarg. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a, yeah. As of uh, yesterday, as of uh, Halloween, they they got the site up. There's about forty thousand Xbox three sixty Rock Band songs in there to, to is look Clone through. Hero. Clone Hero is like a computer version of Guitar Hero. Oh, yeah, that doesn't sound as fun. Right. It was it was like a very basic version of Guitar Hero before they figured out how to add songs to the other games. That yeah. like, did you want to play a song in Guitar Hero, but it wasn't Guitar Hero? Well, we can. Get it on your computer and track it for Clone Hero. So what is Rock Band 3 versus Rock Band 3 Xbox? 
Like, cause, cause there's different versions, like the 360, the PS3, and the Wii. Yeah, and they all have different ways they save the game. Right, and but then there's just around. one that says Rock Band Three. That I don't know, but you see, it's a. But I think that's just for all Rock Band Three tracks. Oh yeah, because it's it's lumping them all together. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, and they've they even got some. Well, there's there's no tracks in there now. But yeah, if but people make Beatles it. Rock Band stuff, then it'll hit there too. Yeah. So that's pretty cool, though. Yeah, at least it's not gone, gone. Yeah, and that would have been a bummer. Like, I've uh, I've discovered I a couple of weeks ago I got uh, a card for the Xbox, thinking that I would buy a couple of songs in Rock Band that I didn't have for for us to play, mm-hmm. and then found out that a lot of that stuff has just been delisted off the uh, uh, off off the Xbox 360. Yeah, because the the rights to the having the song ran out. Also found out that everything for Rocksmith is gone. From the what? from the uh, Xbox 360, I'm gonna have to check Steam, but Shit. yeah, because they've got their Rocksmith Plus like subscription yeah, yeah. thing that they, but they don't have any, they didn't license anything good for right. it. That's uh, a bummer because I was thinking about not, not that I didn't have enough time, but I was, right. when I was driving the other day, I was thinking to myself like, okay, well maybe in winter when I have downtime, I can start screwing with it. Right, which you yeah. still can. <laughs> well, because I have the disc. Okay. Everything that I bought, I have. Oh. But I can't buy anymore. Gotcha. Okay. There were songs that I hadn't, you know, gotten that I was like, oh, I'll just get this fifteen dollars Xbox card mm-hmm. and I'll buy a couple of songs for Rocksmith that I can learn to play on the actual guitar. Nope. nope. That's bummer. That stuff's all gone. Yeah. That's all I got for headlines. Did you have anything else you wanted to add to our news segment? Uh, all I could, all I could really throw in there is. Two of the costumes that are coming to mind that I saw for Halloween. Uh-huh. One was Megan the Stallion being the female gremlin. That was I, you I showed me that. Name, that was pretty good. But yeah, every year, too. yeah, every year Megan the Stallion goes hard for Halloween. Right. She did like a pinhead one year. There was like now this year Tyga did pinhead, and I'm just like, nah, Megan the Stallion's is cooler, man. Right. But um, I think the most jarring one was Ozzy and Sharon Osbourne dressed up. And they dress up as uh, Kanye West, like the covered head to toe Kanye West, with uh, Sharon being Bianca Sensory, which is his wife. Uh Uh-huh. And she's just holding a pillow and she's standing there naked. Why is she? Over her pillow. Because every time that this motherfucker takes his wife out into the world, she's either half naked or not wearing shoes. She looks like she's in an abusive BDSM relationship. Like it's not it like in a bad it, way. D- yeah, it doesn't look okay. It doesn't look okay. Um, Daniel Bryan yes. and Brie Bella dressed up as the uh, Adam the Adams family. family. I saw those. Those were like pretty cute. hilarious. Uh, Dan Housen dressed up as Barbie. Oh, that's great. That was very fun. Yeah, I didn't see that one. Uh, um, I, I saw some other ones, but they were like random people like that I don't care about, like Justin Bieber and his wife dressed up as like Pebbles and Bam Bam and shit like that. I was trying to find, I remember Johnny Gargano and uh, uh, his wife and their kids. Oh yeah, all. they were dressed up as something and then they had a bluey in the room with them. I they did, but I, yeah, I don't remember what it was. Who was it you saw that was uh, uh, Baby Yoda and the Mandalorian? Oh, that was Faceless Tony. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, Faceless Tony and his son. Uh, his son went as Din Djarin, and uh, he uh, had a very, very large baby Yoda with him. <laughs> that, uh, that was a really good costume. Good. It, it was Stop, Tony. It was solid. <laughs> All right, well, we've got a hell of an interview for you. It's one of my buddies from the comic store. His name is, uh, I will say Jeff. 
And Jason. Step it's Jason. <laughs> I was like, Jason. I, I thought you were holding for dramatic effect mm, there for a Brain second. fry. <laughs> His name is Jason, and he wanted to talk to me about one of my favorite franchises, the X-Men. And before we get started on this one, we did have some audio issues while yes. we were working on it. So if it's a little crackly every time Chuck talks, we know. it's a little. It was a little yep, crackly. We had to replace a microphone. Uh, after we recorded this, but we think it, it's still listenable. Yeah. So after doing some work on it, it, it's a little listenable, but we can understand if it's not. You don't have to tell us, though. We know. Yeah. We know. So sorry about that. <laughs> well, you got that to look forward to next when the really big fan podcast returns. <laughs> Welcome back to this really big fan podcast. We got a guest this week. And I'm super excited to uh, introduce him because I knew him first as Batman. <laughs> Hanging out at Liberty Comics, the free comic book day. And it's uh, Jason. You just wanted to call Jason. Or you... Jason's fine or Jay or whatever you want to call me. Yeah, it's my buddy Jay. We, uh, we see each other at the comics store very, very often. And I was like, dude, I got to get you on the podcast. Especially after Jeff on. He was like, you got to get Jason on. No, we actually first met at uh, Masquerades. Was it really? Yeah. When I was you like. Twilight card? Yeah. Like basic, yeah, like magic cards when I was like 12. That's fantastic. I can't tell you how many times somebody recognizes me because they were a kid picking up a Gundam model, but I'm like, I haven't seen you since you were this big. There was a girl at Target that walked up to him that was like, Yeah, hey, I'm so and so's niece. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, yeah, I look a lot older now, don't I? While I'm standing there with a midget turtle in my, you know, in line. It was only like 25 plus years ago. Right, exactly. As we all crumbled the dust. I have a hard time remembering people from where. That place was like such a huge influence on like anime and all, all the anime nerds. Yeah, you know? and that was like the time for it too, the late 90s, early 2000s. I'm really into those times. Uh, yeah. At well, the time, I don't think I appreciated as much as I should have. Oh, but I really, in retrospect, really appreciate that that is a period of my life that I got to work at a store that was like on the cutting edge of anime as it was happening. Yeah, because I I remember going in there and they had a wall scroll for Pocket Monsters. Yep. And I was like, is that? They're like, oh, it's big in Japan and it's coming to America soon, so get ready for it. It was fascinating to watch the owners too because they would, uh, they, they were just, for, for a couple of years, they were really good at what the next big thing would be. Like, first it was Magic Gathering cards. They kind of get in on that as it was exploding. And then it was Pokemon, uh, like the video games. And then the cards hit. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, these hit these shorts are going to be. And it was the same thing with anime. Like, they, they were selling Naruto bootlegs about three years before anyone knew what Naruto was. I was going to ask. That's where all came Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, I'd get the Dragon Ball Z ones because they'd keep like stopping it at a certain point in, yep. the, in the dub. So you had to go to the masquerades to get your bootlegs. Right. Which was funny because the way they started doing those was from like a Chinese grocery store would have bootleg video cassettes on it. So they would get those and then make a coffee go and then take them back. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. I never knew that. Sometimes. That's how it worked back in the day, man. Now it's all digital. Now it's all online. Yeah. yeah. Now Pirate Bay. <laughs> but uh, we're happy to have you here on the uh, Really Big Fan Podcast, Jay. And uh, as we can, we, we ask you, you know, what are you really big fan of? I know when we had um, Jeff on, he said, talk to him about Jurassic Park. He loves Jurassic Park. I'll have to come back to that. <laughs> but you were like, dude, I want to talk to you about X-Men. And I will not pass up on her to me to talk about X-Men. 
where did uh, where did where did you start? What did you first discover at the Children of the Atom? So I had the look, and I think it was either ninety one or ninety two. So is either the initial uh, Toy Biz line, okay, the uh, the pre cartoon Jim Lee era, yep, with I uh, had like the Nightcrawler with the suction cups. Hell yeah! I remember going on car rides with my parents, and I'd stick them, in, yeah, stick them on the car window. Yep. Like, you know, I thought it was funny that, like, the show cars coming by at night. Right, exactly. Or, uh... Action figure on that window. Or, uh, Archangel. I'd have him hanging out the window. <laughs> ripping him hard, so he... I was gonna say, did you ever remove his No, luckily not. I think I still have him somewhere. That's excellent. Um... So you started basically with figures? You, like, yeah. the figures at a toy store, were like, what is the... Yeah, I think I was, like, just getting in the, like, superheroes and stuff, because, yeah. like, uh... I think, like, you know, Batman had just come out, so then that kind of leads kids down the... Like the, the, the Michael Keat Batman? Yeah, yep. So it was probably, like, 91, 92, and then 92 was the X-Men arcade game. Yeah. So a lot of the kids that were playing the Ninja Turtles, they kind of moved on to the next big one, which was, you know, X-Men. get six to blood stuff four. Yeah, they had that weird cabinet. That had like the the two screens. Yeah, there's two monitors, and they were angled, so like you could actually move the one monitor to it. Yeah, and I think they used a, like a mirror somewhere in there to kind of get the full effect. But yeah, yeah it's weird because there were a lot of arcade games back in the day that would actually like reflect the monitor up here, and that's how that one worked. Is like one was up here, but then another one was down here, reflected up here, so you could get that, which was really yeah. That was that that was a really fun game, and I always picked Nightcrawler when I could. Yeah. It was a weird game, too, because it was based on the... So Marvel produced a, like, uh, 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 what would you call it? Like a one episode uh, uh, to, to try it out. Yeah, it's like a pilot. Pilot, thank you. You're, they produced a pilot for an X-Men cartoon because they had Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and they had a couple other cartoons going on at the time. So they produced this pilot for an X-Men cartoon, and it never went anywhere. So it would just pop up randomly on Saturday mornings in the Spider-Man slot. Like, you would watch Spider-Man for, like, six Saturdays in a row, and then suddenly this weird X-Men cartoon would be on for half hour, where Spider-Man usually is on Saturday morning. But it was also captivating, because for a lot of us, we, you know, if we hadn't been collecting comics, we were like, it was Wolverine, Cyclops. With that Australian accent. Yeah. And, uh, and it had a, a very strange um, mix of characters to it. Yep, she was in the arcade game. Yep. And then, and then the the billets are also very strange too, because it's like supposed to be for the movie, so like Magneto is there, but then uh, it, you've got Juggernaut, yeah, and I think the Blomb and Pyro was Mystique. Um, Am I misremembering that? I, wait, wait. I forget if she was in the cartoon, but she was in the video game. Yeah, is that the one that has the really big banger entrance, or am I thinking a different cartoon? You thinking of the the cartoon from '92? The one that actually Japanese white seasons. Yeah, you know, we talk about the Japanese intro. The Japanese intro is sweet when they translate over to shout it like Yoner or whatever. Like they did an anime version of the intro with all the X Men, and, and it's got this song that was so good that um, uh, the, the genetic cake uh, the wrestler I talked to, yeah, it was that uh, Joe Coleman. Oh, uh, he'd actually use that as his entrance yeah. at one point. Yeah, and I thought I was thinking of the ninety. It was at ninety seven or something like. Da-da-da-da. That's the 92 part, too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that one was uh, produced by Saban. Yeah, and that's the one that they're bringing back on Disney Plus for another season. 
That'll be interesting to see. Yeah. They keep kicking that one down the road, though, but... It's wild that it started for you as an action figure line, like it wasn't even... Or, or like, in the arcade game is the first... Yeah, so it was, like, just before, but they, you know, they were getting the, the X-Men train going there. Yeah. So at what point did you realize this was a comic book? Um, it was probably around that time. Yeah. Um, and I think it, I think it was, it was 92 that I dressed up as Wolverine for Halloween because it was, it was just like a plastic mask with like a Velcro strap that goes around your head. Yeah. And there was like a plastic glove and it had a little slide that popped the claws out. (laughs) And I remember it was 92 because it was the tan colored Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah. And I tried to find that. You know, online, because maybe I wanted to buy it on eBay. Sure. See if that mask still fits my head. But uh, I looked it up, and then the next year, they switched it over to the yellow. Yep. Cause so, you started. Yeah, so the tan one was only out for the one year. It does feel like it's, it's a toss. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a toss-up. I feel like uh, sometimes, you know, the tan one goes away for a while, so you really miss it. But yeah. I don't know. They're both great. Whatever they bring back. Cool. <laughs> so, do you remember what your first issue of Batman was? Ah, uh, no, I did not. No, no. <laughs> did you? Uh, did, once you realized it was a comic, was it a thing where like you had to find it in a Seven Eleven or a party store, or a grocery store, or did you at that point realize comic stores were a thing? Uh, it was probably more of a grocery store thing at first. Yeah. Another thing that really got me into it was uh the trading cards. Okay. I think that's what helped because I think I got into the trading cards for like Spider-Man or something, but yeah. that introduced me to all these other characters. And then... but that's funny because I think that's what got me into superheroes because before that it was all Digi Turtles and Fast Forward comic. Yeah, that was so all the superheroes, but I was like, eh, and then they come out with trading cards. And I was like, oh, who are these guys? Yeah, the real real uh, early 90s trading cards were great. Yeah. It was, I think that was a, a lot of kids like Gateway. Cause... Sure. Because you'd have, like, the whole character just in one little card, and yep. they tell you the significant appearances, give you a little profile. Right, and, and they'd have those little meters of, like, how strong they were, how put they yeah. were. <laughs> that, <laughs> that led to a lot of argument. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. That's, uh, that's a lot of fun. So so you, you see the X-Men uh, in, the, in the stories, you see the figures, you're like, those are cool, I want those. And then you see the arcade game, you know, this is cool. And now you realize it's a comic book. At what point did it become a full-blown, I got to go to the store every month and pick these up? Um, I think the cartoon also helped yeah. with that. So then I was getting them more and more and, like, learning about the characters. But I think really what got me in, like, all in, was until, like, 96 or so with Age of Apocalypse. Yeah. Because I was, I was buying the comics where I, where I could find them before that, but... Once Age of Apocalypse came out, I had to have every single issue yeah. of every part of the story. Which is fascinating because it's a really good jumping out, too, because it's a reality. Yeah. So it's like all the characters you know, but they're different. So even if you've been reading the comic for like a year or something like that, you're like, well, I know Colossus, so I know he turns into a big silver guy and he's Russian. But now he's different because he's gone through different trauma. It was a weird way to be introduced to some of the characters, though, because, like, you'll see them in Age of Apocalypse, where it's all dark and moody and stuff. Yeah. And then you come back to the regular reality. It's like, oh, that's what that guy's supposed to be like. Right. So, wait, um, just pause for a second. Colossus doesn't always stay metal. No, he gets hurt a regular person. 
You never know what like, dead. No, because I think they just like they they, they just like the special effects. Yeah. That he's because he actually I think he loses like a foot when he goes to a regular person size. He gets he gets way bigger when he's a little guy. And plus, they probably felt that maybe the CG was less jarring. Like if they didn't show him as a regular guy, yeah. as regular, and then made him metal or something, then it was yeah. kind of weird. And right. Yeah, that would that would make sense. And speaking of Colossus and the arcade game, you'd always know that the <laughs> X Men arcade game was at the arcade because you'd hear Colossus's special going. <laughs> That was the wild thing about. I think we played. I think we sat down and played it before. Me. And that was the wild thing about the arcade game is everybody had like a specialty clear the screen attack, and they were all nothing like you'd expect. You like Wolverine would bash his claws together, make electricity like go across the screen. He's near it. Philosophy was cool. Nightcrawlers is the only one where you teleport around the screen. I'm like, okay, that makes. That was that was the best one too because he'd go in like this like zigzag pattern yeah just clear out everybody but then cyclops was just a laser yep. beam straight at fire laser beams so when you started getting into x-men who was your favorite ah uh, nightcrawler uh, it's always been nightcrawler <laughs> as you as you over the years as you've read more a bit if you absorbed more x-men stuff and as you favorite shifted um no, like, I've always liked Wolverine. Wolverine's, like, always been a close second. Yeah. But I know he gets kind of overplayed a bit. Because but... it's funny, uh, initially, much like when you watched the first movie initially, I was like, oh, Cyclops is the, he's the leader. He's the stick of the blood. I don't like him very much. And then as I've had older, I was like, I like Cyclops. I can relate. I think he's kind of all right. Cyclops is definitely one of those characters. As you get older, you appreciate him more. Right. He's, a, he's almost like the Fantastic Four. When you're like a kid, yeah. Like, oh, that's not cool. This, like, that's like no. It's and then, yeah. Then you know they're like, oh, there is there is a fucking. It doesn't have to be cool, but it's it, you know it's still good. It, well, it's like when I was younger, I think Donatello was my favorite Ninja Turtle. And as I got older, I really related to Leonardo's inability to get Raphael to listen. <laughs> I just <laughs> if you did what I told everybody to do. We wouldn't be here right now. That's it's the Cyclops and Leonardo at all. See, I always like Leonardo because he had swords. Ah, the <laughs> Mikey kid. Right there, you go. Mikey was probably the most popular just because uh, Chucks are cool. No, Chucks, not Chucks. Just he's a fun dude. Yeah, yeah. You know that's that's why I liked their back and forth in the the mutant mayhem between him and uh, Mondo Gecko. Because yeah, yeah, no, they're just. It's my bad. <laughs> I like your bad. Like, I like your bad. So we should we just switch this to a Ninja Turtles? <laughs> I could I could go a full hour on them too. It is funny that there there's definitely crossover between like a lot of people that were into X Men and the Ninja Turtles hit. They're like, oh, this is awesome. All people that got into Ninja Turtles and then eventually got into X Men. There are parallels. Well, supposedly the Ninja Turtles were partially inspired by. You know, X Men and yeah, well, like, yeah, they got the the stared up connection too, though. Well, supposedly the mutant in uh, you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is supposed to be based off the New Mutants, because because Frank Miller's Daredevil and Chris Claremont's New Mutants were like the two kind of popular books at the time. Right, they put those together. Yeah, mixed in some turtles, <laughs> and that's what you had. I, I hope that at some point, because Ninja Turtles is still with a lot of crossovers since they've been published by IDW, now Nickelodeon owns a franchise. I hope at some point they could put out with Marvel where, like, the Turtles 
get to meet someone because they did it with DC. It, yeah. At, yeah, uh, Eastman's been saying he wants to do it. Yeah. That's... Like, I'm sure, he really, I know that he's done some covers for Kevin Eastman. He's done some covers for Marvel over the last couple of years. And I'm like, that's got to be him doing a Daredevil cover. It's kind of such a thrill. Yeah. After having loved it for so many years and having what, like the early 80s stuff. They're like, hey, do you want to draw Daredevil? I think he even did a Electra story recently. Yeah. And right. that uh, Electra anthology. Yeah. 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 So you get Charlie Cox right behind you. There he is. <laughs> Boy. You know? See, now, back to your X-Men thing. I So I was talking about the movies before, and I'm like, I'm really bad at all the X-Men stuff. I basically understand a lot it. through random movies that I've seen out of order and memes in the shitposting group, so I'm like really not versed in anything. But there are so many moments in which he's either heard me yell it from the other room or just say to him, like, why is Cyclops such a baby? Or like, why is Cyclops X Y Z? Like, literally, like he's just whiny to me. So, like, I don't understand him necessarily. I guess it sounds like you understand them just fine. <laughs> it's not that he's good; it's that he's interesting. And that's there was a, like you said that yeah yeah he's a mess, but like his little brother is worse. You said he was doing very well considering being a mess. Right. Like, geez. Yeah, then he explained to me his brother the other day. Well, Alex Summers. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, Scott's doing that way better. We don't even have to go into the third brother. <laughs> oh, we certainly don't. Most people don't like to. <laughs> yeah, Cyclops kind of falls into that role because, you know, somebody, I guess, has to be the the stick in the mud. and Right, well, like, and there's, there's the characters like Gambit or Wolverine that are easily, you know, like, yeah. they're supposed to grab the reader and be like, oh, they're cool. Is there kind of an anti-hero or they're like, they're sneaky and do what stuff they're not supposed to do. Yeah, they really use them to bounce off the cool guys. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, although, kind of Cyclops, when you get him on his own and, you know, you're not trying to compare him to, like, Wolverine and stuff. Yeah. I think some really good stuff comes out of it, especially, like, recently with, like, Hickman stuff. They actually, like, give Cyclops some personality that's not just... Bleak. For sure, leader. Yeah, and I thought like Josh uh, Miro and Anastasia X that did some really good stuff with Cyclops too. Yeah, it really made you appreciate the tactical line where he has like uh, one of one of the one of his full plans is that he gets captured by villains and killed because he knows they have the ability to uh, bring people back to life. Yeah. So it's like if they capture me and I give them false information. Or if they kill me, they'll revive me, and, and I'll be captured, and then I'll be in the middle of everything, and I'll, I'll have information they don't know. Or... True. Just, like I said, it's like, oh, that's a that's a great plan. I know it's kind of spoilery, but like, great. if you haven't, it's... If, it's... if Natasha Romanoff could have done it, she would have. <laughs> yeah, Cyclops is definitely one of those characters where it's like, you capture him, and then it just doesn't turn out well for you. No, not at all. Kind of like Black Widow or Batman. Right. You know, because they're going to have a plan. So uh, it started comic book wise basically around Age of Apocalypse that you've seen probably a good 25, 30 years yeah. of X Men stuff. Did you go back and read the old stuff too? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm still uh, working my way through Claremont, actually. Oh, that's as we speak. So there's a lot to it because uh, I got into New Mutants. Yeah. Just... I wish they've done more with that because we've only really gotten the movie. They haven't really shown up in, like, cartoons or... Yeah, I think some of them were in X-Men Evolution in, like, the second or third season. And it, oh, it was, you put, like, they were side, they were literary side characters. They were, like, they need to fill out the school. 
So we'll have a scene every other episode where we'll be new mutant characters are interacting with our main X-Men. Well, didn't you say that um, Ileana was part of a specific storyline? Yeah, I'm saying the wrong name. You were talking about how Magic. she basically like went like and tried to kill everybody. Yeah, Inferno. Chief part of the Inferno still. Yeah, the Inferno star was ba- basically her and Madeline Tyre both interacting with Diva to bring Peloton and Nortui. When was that? Like on the timeline of like years? 1889. Was it? See, I'm it. It's funny because once they realized. I'm sure it happened before X-Men, but X-Men was one of the first franchises where Marvel realized, oh, if we do an event, crossover in the middle of the summer, we can boost sales. So, like, the first time they just did it between, I think it was just, like, New Mutants and X-Men, and then there were a couple of, like, oh, an issue four or an issue during the year or something like that, and every year you could you could see it get bigger and bigger and bigger, until it turned into a thing where, like, every event, Every summer slash fall, we got to back. You got to have a crossover back to the books every summer slash fall. And Inferno was, I want to say this. Yeah, because I think the last big one before that was the Mutant Massacre. Yeah. Where it was X-Men, X-Factor, New Mutants. All the mutants might take place in between those two. Okay, okay. And, so, but look, but, yeah, and, and I, I know it because if I collect, if I started collecting around like 91, the first thing where that executioner songs that I can work my way back of that wise year by year. You're like, ah, 87. That's wild that that story was that far back in time because, like, the way that you were talking about it, it sounded like more of like a current story. Yeah. Like, it, or at least a, you know, late 90s, early 2000s type of mindset. Right. Well, okay, well, we're just going to not have Cyclops be with Madeline Pryor anymore. And yeah. And all this. Like, they, it sounded like a very, like, early tooth. Was it, was it, X-Men was very ahead of its time. Was it, was it you know that kept the moment that Bible, you know, but still, that was me. Yeah. That was amazing. I'm so thankful. I got to read it, and it's, it's kept the kind of thing I was telling you, Amy, where, like, uh, the stuff going on backstage, or, you know, being hype the scenes in the offices, was almost more dramatic and interesting than the stuff that's happening in the books. And once you know some of the backstory of what was going on behind with the creators and the editors, you look at the books and colors in different way. Yeah. Like when you read a book and you're like, oh, that story ended kind of abruptly or that character got written out really fast. That sucks. I kind of like that. Um, you know, it, it's just kind of like, oh, that sucks. But then when you find out that like, oh, that character got written out really fast because they switched editors and decided and decided, yeah, I don't want anybody who's not a mutant the book. So like get that killing out of here as fast as you can. Get this person out of here as fast as you can. Kind of thing. Yeah, that was like one of the first things they did when Claremont got out of the off the book. But that's a good thing to bring up is that uh the X Men just wasn't like mutants fighting mutants. There was right. also you'd have storylines with like magics like magic and you know, there'd be space. Yeah, there'd be space. There'd be robots. There'd be time travel, and just whatever like Chris Claremont was into at the time. Yeah, it was a really good like fantasy, uh, like starter for. I get, I get, I can imagine a lot of kids getting X Men comics and being like, "This is amazing," and then going out to read, reading like books with dragons and the and all sorts of novel kind of stuff just because they. You know, they saw demons at Amphoro, they're like, oh, read more about some demon stuff. That's, that was kind of fun.
lead him toward a Constantine book. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that'll let that one hurt. Not at all. Yeah, Chris Claremont was on the book for, what, like 14 years? So. Yeah, it was 14, 15, 16 years. And, so he was just pulling from whatever, you know, he had or whatever he was watching. And I'm sure, I don't know where you are in, in his run, but I'm sure it's it's fascinating to watch where, like, his early X-Men stuff is very centered on uh, the mutant metaphor of a school. It's very much a, a 70s superhero book. But then after a year or two, looks he's kind of got the clout to do whatever the wants freely goes out wild direction and i can understand why once you get to like 1988 89 and he gets a new editor i was like dude we got to get back to the school we got to get back to the whole mutants versus humans thing you know we got we got to do the hits you got to play the, you, you, you were all this concept of and stuff for so long that like we got to go back to the hits and he's like i don't want to do the hits i've been doing my own thing for 15 years and nobody said anything and sales were up. Are you want to put borders on me? This sucks. Well, yeah, the book's selling well, so they add another book, then they add another book. Yeah. And then it's just they got to keep things rolling, so then the, there's so many cooks in the kitchen at that point. Yeah, and that's the thing I was telling you about uh, was talking about Family Fire, uh, is that like they add, every time they would add a book, because Chris was writing X-Men, he's like, well, let me write the main lesson. I'll write the second book too. All right. And then they're, they're, they want to do uh, Excalibur. And it's like, well, let me write that too. Let me do both. And then eventually it's like, well, we want to do this thing that you don't want to do. But I know that it sells. So and then put another writer on. Right. And within like 10 issues, another writer leaves because he can't deal with the back and forth drama in the office with Chris. And can Chris's editor on X Men for the last like five years ends up as the writer of that collection. So now it's somebody he can work with, and they work in a concert very well. And that's, once again, stuff going on behind the scenes, colors the stuff that you read the book. You can read the first year of X-Tact, and you're like, this book isn't very good, and then all of a sudden it gets good. And yeah. All of a sudden it matters more, and it's more into you with the other excellent books and doing it. I don't know. I could definitely understand that. I'm one of those people that, like, has been griping about, like, Marvel for the last couple of years in terms of movies because things aren't connecting properly. Right. Like, where where is the connective tissue here? So I would definitely be in that camp of going, like, oh, now these actually make sense. Yeah. Now, now you know, somebody will do something in, in X-Men book one week, and then the next week, somebody will do something in X-Factor that is, let's film the thing you read a week ago, and they're out. Okay, cool. They're all living in the same world. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, though. That 80s X-Men is just so readable, even, like, these days. It is. Even though it goes, like I said, in your direction, I'm going to add you. Demon Bins, go to space, and all this stuff. Like, Chris Clamock was really good at making it on kind of open. Yeah, making you go, like, okay, they're going to space. Cool, we're going to buy an alien town. That's fun. And he was always getting some of the best artists of the 80s, so that it, everything looked really good. And That is one of those things where you, you're kind of a Batman guy, right? Oh, yeah. So, who would you say is some of the best artists they ever got in Batman books? Because I can test that even though Batman has always been a flagship character to DC, doesn't usually get the best artists. Um, it really depends. Sometimes it's, uh, I don't know, because it seems like they... DC puts a lot of their uh, big artists, like, on the more prestige books. Right. And they kind of just let the monthly Batman go, but 
like they get Jim Lee on there for twelve issues, right? And uh, like Tom King's run had a ridiculous. We're some good arts. Well, it seems like recently they understand that it's like you, the the formula is you put your best artist on the book that sells really high. But I can also see the uh, business standpoint where it's like, well, you already know Babbitt's going to sell this number. Said, we've got this really good artist. Why don't we put it on a book and then sell it back at others and see if we can watch it all. Right. And right. It might be the odd man out, but I really like the, the whoever was on Hush. Well, let's do that. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. Oh. But like, if you think of some of. And he's the one that did the X Men in the early 90s. Yep. Didn't, Which, didn't he do that one? Yeah. Post- that's still that X Men number one. Yep. It's oh. not mine. That's his. <laughs> because nerd wall. <laughs> and that's where, like in the early '90s, uh, Chris Claremont, his run that started in 1977, yep. kind of came to an end because Marvel at the time, the artists were kind of starting to take over. Yeah, and it was more about the art. So then it kind of drove Chris Claremont and other like writers away. And the artist kind of ruled the roost, but it was mega popular at the time. Like, until, until Anger Leader, they all left for vintage comics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's where Marvel, you know, put all their faith in all the artists, and then they're just like, all right, well, we're going to start our own company. Right. And they're like, oh, won't it? All right. And, and uh, X-Men number one and X-Force number one are like the two highest selling books ever. Yeah. Well, those two are like the, the top of the Spider-Man number one, I know. Yeah, that was a crazy one too. Yeah. But that that's when it was kinda downhill for X Men for a long time. The there was some good stuff in the nineties, but it was it was, it, it's interesting. I I am sure it'd be like any comic go long enough or, or watch any of and maybe this T V show like Supernatural Lettuce Tennyson said you can pick out where like it, it wavers. Sometimes it's like, Oh, it's really good and then it kinda gets okay and sometimes it sucks and then and then eventually you get another creative team that's fire. And also, it's great again. Yeah, it just seemed like a lot of the X-Men stories were kind of recycling stuff that was done before, or it was just they were, uh, what's the term, like making comics about comics? Yeah, yeah, I I, I, I can't explain it very well, but I have heard different comic writers say it's bad to make comics about comics. You have to make comics about the or about something else. Telling a story, but it's like, you know, trying to explain what happened in this one issue, but you're kind of just running in circles. Right. So, you know, like, about where you are in the Fenomenal stuff? Did you read it? Um, I just read uh, X-Men number 200, which was The Trial of Magneto. Oh, okay. Good stuff. Yeah, that was a wild one. Um, That was, they used the excuse in a court of law that this man had got turned into a baby, so... He is not culpable for his crimes. Right. For the it he did in his previous life. Yes. Because he's got a second and son. Getting yes, getting turned into a baby wipes the slate wipes the slate clean. So <laughs> that's that was their excuse for uh turning Magneto into a good guy. I see. Tell Scott Lang that. Yeah, right? <laughs> so I see as a sweatshirt too, you've got like the ritual item first issue. Have you maybe read some of those early ones? Yeah, they're kinda rough. They are. I it's funny to that's the thing, like you were saying, like the eighties stuff has aged real well. The eighties stuff, a lot of stuff has aged really well. I've been going through on how limited after real, like the original stand that they seem to go spider fans. Yeah. And I'm not gonna say it's bad, but always if it's a careful adult, the way they write books isn't that era as opposed to the way I psychology being written. 
even if you look at the Claremont stuff in the 80s and look at the way they write at Tim Palak's house. Well, that was kind of the interesting thing that um, from the 60s, X-Men and Daredevil were kind of like the all, the also rans back then. You know, they were on the verge of cancellation. And yeah. X-Men was actually canceled for a time. Yeah, there's like about 50-something issues of X-Men. I think just from threats. Yeah, for like most of the 70s, they were canceled. And like, but then that opened things up for them to get more experimental in the 80s, in the late 70s with those characters. Yeah. So that's what also gave us like the Frank Miller Daredevil and, you know, the Claremont X-Men was that, you know, they were the books that nobody really thought could succeed. So do you ever, because that, that era is kind of, oh, like people think of that era of positive. It's like, oh, there's been Daredevil, Claremont's dude, like Sikhetich is doing late night overall. You know, new views and stuff. Do you think we've had some weird arrows since then? Because I think we can. I think some. I think it's hard to see it when you're in it, and then like years later, you look back and you're like, "That was a really good time to read." I was gonna say Hawkeye book. Yeah, like you think to look at like in 2011 when Matt Fraction is doing Hawkeye, and then Hickman is doing the Five Years, which initially I wasn't thinking though, because I like and this is Avengers uh, a whole lot. Oh, Hickman's Avengers was great. It was. In retrospect, I I went back and I read it. Like once he did, once they put he did the excellent books. I went back and I read his Avengers book. Oh, wait. Okay, these are great. Like it's not the Avengers you saw in the movies, but it is a really interesting story that culminates in Cap versus Tony. And some of the best characters in his Avengers run were the X Men characters. Yeah, yeah. He actually clips like a couple of and turns into little Avengers for that run. You talk about the Cap and Tony. Is it the stuff that Telka is really angry about? It is not. No, they have to bear the soul of that. Okay. Yeah, that's the story. It really, really does not like Iron Man. Yeah, she does. She doesn't read a lot of hours, but she did read the original Civil War in the series. Ah, oh, this breaks when it starts with these experiments. Yeah, they <laughs> they were leaning a little fascist on uh, Tony Stark there. Right. Also, like the flip side of that, has have me looked at Eddie. Older hobbits, as you've the edge of life, but if you look at the AO, Alex had been like, that was cool when I was going for it to leave Uh, yeah, like I'll read like some of the, I got really big in the Spider Man, especially like some of the 80s and early 90s with yeah. the, the black costume and stuff. Some of that's kind of rough. Yeah. But what is it? What is it? Can you figure, figure out like what was it that he liked? That now you're like, yeah, that's not, that's not my thing anymore. Um, some of it's just like, you like the look or, yeah. you know, like the villain seemed cool at the time, but you're like, oh man, this, this doesn't really hold up. Yeah. Ellie, you're over here trying to like, that nostalgia back, so you're rereading the book, and you're like, this is the perfect shit. This is enough to the other world story of this. Yeah. That's a lot of the nineties X-Men, you know, is like the art. It's the art was very eye catching and exciting. You know, the had really good coloring in the 90s, but yeah. you go back, you're like, there's not a lot of substance to it. That's also fascinating to look at it because the diet uses about the time where they said use of computers to color the books, and that first year it's used. Yeah. Like, there's very, very floppy, like, you know, shaking oh, going down at those books. That is it took written. it took the colorist a couple of years to figure out how to actually radiate the colors out instead of just having, like, red See when they had the um when they had the resurgence of like bringing out Watchmen for the movie, I read the Watchmen book and I liked it. But like, there's obviously some like 
rape and issues in that book. Oh, for sure. And like, no matter how many times I've read it, because I know I've read it multiple times at this point, every time I'm always just like, they were cool with this back. Yeah, Alex Delador, what's like Frank Miller meets kind of like an odd, oh, had an odd leash. Yeah. That kind of stuff. They were like, well, he does tell some of well, those stories we got. So I guess if he wants to, if he wants to put these adult themes in, I guess we can be cool with it. Yeah. I, I never even thought of that because I, I mean, I look at Watchmen as like an adult book. I don't look at that yeah. as something for like a kid or like a 13 year old. You right. Know? to try and understand it but like with some of the stuff that you even come across even in like the shit posting group for the x-men or whatever i'll see like panel or two and obviously they're like somewhat out of context but i'm like wow they were okay with that back then or like wow this th- how did that fly when kids were reading this and they just didn't have as much control that's one of the wild things once again about x-men is that even though the sales numbers were up it was there was like this mentality of like it just let Samurai Cook, and like, don't, don't mess with that. He's got the numbers up on a book that he canceled for the 70s. So, so, like, he's doing something right. Had that, like, in a very weird, pivotal moment of, like, music, too, where, like, the music industry was being heavily censored. Yeah. People like D. Snyder fighting against it, but then there's, like, stuff randomly in these books that no one really ever, like, was there ever a time period where, like, X Men or any other comic books ended up being on one of those, like, we're going to ban this list. I don't, you know. So because Chris Clement was saying, gave the things by, like, you can read the book and, like, and the implication of, like, homosexuality or something like that, but not about the, this, this, and, oh, yeah, this pair of things get. Yeah. Just enough to be like, I care. Yeah. I, I think they were too worried about, like, rock music and Dungeons and Dragons in the 80s. The really it's true. Really noticed, it's like. Titanic panic and everything. Right. Yeah. Because comics got, like, quite a deal more, like, subversive in the 80s, partially. Yeah. I think I'll stop, stop, like, X-Men, because uh, we don't really have to get in too much, but Chris Claremont's obvious fetishes. Yes. Yeah, I'm definitely went to some books at the door and saw some things. It's like, look, that's possible. Oh, but I think comics would do that more in the 60s. Yeah. When they had to create the comics. Go along. Like, do you see where kids are reading? Yeah. That that was more of like I didn't know if that had ever happened. It had, yeah, and, and yeah, that's the thing is that it happened on the six, like the fifties and sixties, and then they created the Hobbit Gold, which was like very. You see this on the book? It's safe to kids read, care thing, and that was on books up until about the middle of the night. And this is when the major publishers started saying, "What if we just didn't put the code off the heart? Did whatever I wanted to." Yeah. It's kind of like the the parental advisory sticker, and it, you saw this thing happening. Video games too that become became a huge industry, like the PlayStation is with uh, parents of violated. You can go to Dirk Kasami, you as well. But what's on that was like it's stuff that they're like oh, video games and the video game industry is like all right, we're ready to rating system, just like the release. Yeah, all down. We're rating system lighting here, so it's up to you to manage whether or not you're cool to see something you don't want to see. Rex me up how many people would be worried about pixelated blood. Yeah, it's true. Or movies. Pixelated movies. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the, the 80s X-Men got like surprisingly sexy for like a mainstream comic book. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of uh, body swap things that doesn't get spread into the 80s. Storm gets her character out in such a way or another. And the, 
obviously a clever play. Yeah, applied gay romance between uh, Storm and uh Yeah, there's a lot of Im- implied homosexuality in right. it. And, and it's it, to, to what to what I I've heard through other reference podcasts. It had a lot of heat at the bet that on our Chris and the side that said he listens to other to Cobra's back there. All they put parties in New York. Yeah, they meet people that were you know at the middle of the the eighties. Uh, the a big panic on the AIDS places and stuff. I mean, they were like, well, you, the X-Men is supposed to represent a minority. It doesn't it's at the black people's minority. Right. It could be anybody else. Why don't we, these things that are the two. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it was just, I, I both, I love it. I hate it for still at the same time. Yeah. Because I love that he is brilliant enough to incorporate themes into his books in such a way that sometimes you don't even realize they're there right so later but also ever since he left x-men every time i come back i've been waiting to commission us because we continued to collect the book a lot after he got fired off of this right so when they asked him, i was like hey you want to write x-men again he's like sure let me rule it in franchise because there's definitely like in the first we did get was the first time he came back and he once again, he's done the hits. He has no interest in playing hits and doing a Phoenix saga or a Sabretooth story or a Juggernaut story or anything. So he just creates these things and goes way off, you know, way off the map with them. And within a year, the editor's like, this, we just want to school. I would love a Magneto story. And like, look, if you, can, if you can't pick up it too, it's a little I know I don't have a worse in the race, but how many times are you going to do a Phoenix story in the same way? Over and over. It, well, yeah, that every time we bring the Phoenix cat, it's got to, it's always a little, it's different. It's not the same story. But it's like, I, I know that's not like, I'm not the the audience for it, but like, even the two movies, I'm just like, they're, or the movies you're having, it's like, you guys know this doesn't work, right? So you well, guys keep doing it and it doesn't work. That's the thing about phoenixes, though. They never die real long. Oh. Like, got, like, that's the route. Is it the simple? I think we might be in the middle of one right now. Do you, yeah. the comic ones work? Uh, it's really, uh, if you read, if you read the original, not everything. Phoenix and Dark Phoenix Saga, they are still, see, with for being, if you like 19, something in the six, something the size. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, the original's a classic. The original's a good And there have been really good, like, when Grant Orson's so I thought he was too other things. We're in Tuesday. Yeah, because they, they didn't really do, they didn't really go too hard with it. Yeah, it was it was happening in the background. It, it was, it, well, what was going on? I even think, and you have to say this, a lot of uh, Mark Millard work on his day stop. I think this takes up the mix, and also the X-Men was kind of interesting, too. Yeah, that was interesting. That was like that. They, they had like the cult that. It was a cult in the house share club. At the same time, like, Jean had never heard of it before. She just labeled the dark voice in the back of the head the Phoenix and as Xavier children out of the lives. You know, something the monster gets out of this. Yeah, it's kind of like. That's another thing that I came across that doesn't have anything to do with the Phoenix, but you mentioned Charles Xavier. Him having a crush on a student? That's the sixties thing. Yeah, that was that's the sixties. There's one panel about the sixties that it's about, about Paul Attire. Paul Attire, or is like lighting that he thinking to himself, lighting a pipe, but thinking like I can never tell cheese, and I build it the one that's just what I love. Yeah, yeah. Like, like he's Charles. <laughs> that was sixties Stanley for you. Since I was stuff. 
So how do you feel about the ups and down? Like the, the as a franchise, obviously you've had what like seven or eight movies. Is that uh, you, you've got cartoons, you've got figures, you've got comics all over the place. Um, I think it's in a great place right now. It's um, we could also talk about how Marvel was like kind of burying the X Men for a while when they didn't have the movie rights. It did, yeah, it did feel like when it was a 20th century box thing um, that they decided, okay, well, we're not there to lose much. We'll still take coach, but it's still those others. But, like, nobody's allowed to make any characters in this book. Yeah. You just got to do these things, you already got. And, you know, like, you don't do this. And don't do it like they put all these strips that the book. It was like... It's probably like, don't expand it because we don't want to give them any ideas. Yeah, exactly. Like, we're already... I did with Elbert Pixelber and Scarlet Witch, so we get to live in about your movie. So, like, don't create a cool one character that they play in a movie that you think in the will like, and then be instead. Right. And then the X Men weren't showing up in video games or. Yeah. Which was wild after, once again, we had an X- we had so many X Men video games that there's just this giant drought of, like, are we going to be. This is weird. What were you, the police, here going on? Yeah, it was really weird, but now, you know, Disney just had to buy Fox, and now that ever had, like, the, the X-Men franchise is at one of its highest points right? since the 80s. Have you seen it during the COVID? Yeah. Not a fool. Saw it at a drive-in, which is probably the best. Really really bad idea. It's a very dark movie, so it's, you can't own that. It was ridiculously dark. But... God, it was so to the point of, like, I think I just, like, I was just like, I'm just here for moral support, and I just like, we just kind of, yeah, you just kind of fell asleep. that. Yeah. I'm like, I can't see anything, and I don't know these characters, and I don't understand. Right. So I'm going to take a nap. Yeah, it's sad. Like, the one thing that they put the new mutants in wasn't that great. Yeah. But, like, the casting, for the most part, was, like, quite good. The casting is spun out a lot of those characters, and I like, I, I had kind of just that around for reading at the uh, Sinkevich stuff, I do do the stuff because I knew that this was going to be based on Demon Bear. Oh my god, a lot of that is like ridiculously good. Yeah, the art of that is full violent, but also good. And, and it's the kind of thing I think I saw some of Sinkevich's X Men blurt when I was younger and when like Jim Lee was my X Men. I did not like it. Yeah, it was. That's <laughs> that was like that was the opposite. Oh, I get it. It's like it's an interpretation. It's not like where's the it's very, very scratchy. It's very, like, this is the model for the character. Yes, it's, you picture in your head, it's this character. Whereas, like, if you see uh, Bill St. Hevich draw, like, you know, this is like, oh, it's a version of draw. It's kind of a back-to-year version. Yeah, that's fun. And it's much more horror-based. Yeah. Or, did, you ever, did you ever hear, like, if we did out of the two to... No. Yeah, man. So the first movie was going to be Diva Terror. The second thing in this could be Warlock. The third movie was going to be it. Damn, I would have been... What? Hold on. I would have been... that definitively they were never doing it. They never heard about it. Yeah. yeah. Like, the, the they, it took the, what, like, three years after it was done to get the movie out. It made me wonder if, like, because they have Disney Plus and they have all this area if that could be a direct to disney plus thing that would be amazing and release i don't i don't know if they could really afford uh anya taylor joy now not anymore no 
I, I think she, like, honestly, she was my favorite from what I could tell. Right. Even though she was evil. Super bad. I liked the, the whole dragon base of that. I, I had a harder time looking at Charlie Hunnam or, or Charlie whatever in, like, um... Yeah, not seeing uh, Jonathan from Stranger Things. So, like, him talking in, like, this hillbilly accent was... Be like, what is this? I was just like, this is awful. And he's like, no, he's doing a great job. I'm like, no, this is awful. <laughs> I do not believe for a second he has a southern accent. It's not, no. <laughs> Well, Dennis, it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad to have you on the podcast. I love talking to X-Men. And I hope you give me a see that. Yeah, let's say it again. There, there is plenty of X-Men to talk about. I know you're a huge fan. still a really, uh, decent time on that. Yeah. And, uh, and you said we could talk about some of the things. Ninja Turtles are at Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Uh, yeah, it's great. You're one of the most. Did you get Or did you? It used to be. He- Okay, I know the last place I've seen them at Sea of the South. Gotta love the Ghostbusters. They couldn't. He was out searching for what is it, Afterlife, for the longest time. Yeah, the the Ghostbusters Afterlife Blu-ray. Did not find that movie on DVD for. Oh, really? Yeah, finally found it, but it took months of searching. Well, I just thought by it mean. And as long as this saves some money, I figured like somebody's gonna buy this movie and go like, oh, alright, and it sells or this retail itself. I've seen that movie so many times because we did like a provo- promotional event. Yeah. Events the first week for Imagine. So we went to every theater. Well, <laughs> you just saw it over and over. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I loved it. I had a great time. Yeah, it was good. All right. And we're going to take a break here. Let's come back to Left Sarasota with host for this one's many big fan podcast. Next. <laughs> Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope it was listenable. Yeah. I know I, I listened back to it. I ran it through a couple of filters and I was like, this is this is okay. It's not our best work. Yeah. But uh, the conversation was a lot of fun and I didn't want to lose that. Yeah, for sure. definitely. I figure if I get enough people to talk about X-Men around you, eventually you'll just be like, all right, I give in. Let's see. I mean, <laughs> Tony and Mike have been trying to get me to watch Clone Wars for years now. That's fair. So I, I, I don't know how much. Yeah. I'm already been getting exposed to some of it. Like I just sent you that set of panels the other day of uh, Kurt talking to somebody. Yep. And I was like, why are the X-Men so horny? That's just how it is. Because they're all sexy. Well, yeah, there was something that I saw in one of the, um, it was in that shit posting group where they said that Part of the reason why all the X Men are so sexy is because their genes want them to recreate, like procreate. All right. So, like, that's the theory is that they're all very hot, so that they're attracted to each other, so that they'll make more mutants. Like that, the gene mutation is trying to get Fair. to do do it, so there's more. And Nightcrawler just has the sexiest genes. Uh, <laughs> Nightcrawler's just always like, I- I'm just gonna lay it out here for you. You're touching my tail, by the way. Yeah, yeah, she she did like over his tail for like five pages. Yeah, she's like just holding his tail and I'm like, what, what are you doing? Right. Like, geez. See, we all loved Nightcrawler. Uh, just his design was neat and the teleportation and he had such a, a, a happy-go-lucky uh, personality. That it was very easy to love Nightcrawler. And then when I started picking comics up in the 90s, there was an issue where uh, he meets a lady and she's like, ooh, fur, do you mind? And he's like, no, please go ahead. And she touches like his shoulder or something. Mm-hmm. She's like, 
it's like velvet. <laughs> and we all went, oh, no. <laughs> Furries. He's, he's covered in, like, velvet fur, and he's got a tail, and he's just, like, super nice guy. Oh, no. Furries. <laughs> and both you and Jason were like, yeah, Nightcrawler. 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 Silly. <laughs> so thanks again to uh, Jay. I'm sure we'll have him on the podcast once again to uh, talk about all sorts of things. I know he's into Transformers. Jeff had said he's into uh, Jurassic Park mm-hmm. and uh, all that good stuff. But we are wrapping up the this week's show with, as always, our serotonin boost. So I was at, I was getting coffee at the Gathering Coffee earlier today. Yeah, yeah. And um, they gave me a mug with Marcel the Shell on it. Oh, and I was really excited. That's like, so cute. It was just the in-house the Gathering mug. Like it, they have like you know your in-house oh, so you mugs had, or whatever. You had to give it back. Yeah, I had to give it back. But like I thought it was super cute because it looked like somebody made it because they actually etched in the side of it the Gathering Coffee Co. Oh, so nice. somebody like made it in a kiln and it was like a super like cute mug or whatever but as soon as she put it on the counter i went marcella shell yeah she's like oh you know she goes i try to give that one out as much as i possibly can i'm like oh my god i love marcella shell so much <laughs> and there was a movie yeah i still need to watch ago. the movie i i only have seen the cartoons of yeah, it like the little, the, the little youtube, the little cartoons. YouTube cartoons yeah. And um, there's specifically one of my friends, I won't name her to keep her anonymous of, of this hilarity, but at one point she got really, really drunk and then started crying in the bathroom at the bar. And I was like, why are you crying? And she's just like, Marcel the Shell can never have a dog. It's too big for him. For him. And he just, he, he go, he'll never know unconditional love because he's never going to have a dog. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, are you seriously crying about that right now? Yes. And I'm just like, oh my God, I need to get you out of this bar. Um, there you go. It's on Paramount Plus. Yes. I'm going to have to watch that. Yeah, we'll I think it's an A24. I believe it is. So, uh, but he's, he's adorable and yes. like. I love him and his little fluff that he does get instead of yep. his dog and wobbles around. But there was even a list that I was looking at that had some of his quotes because then I was like, well, I got to post a picture of this mug. Right? So you want to use I, one I of the quotes. I use one of the quotes. So he, the one that I ended up using was, sometimes when I get stressed out, my shell feels tight, but I have ways of unwinding. <laughs> <laughs> but some of the other cute ones were, my name is, this is like the beginning of one of the videos too. It's like, my name is Marcel and I'm partially a shell, as you can see on my body, but I also have shoes and um, a face. And I like that about myself and I like myself and I have a lot of other great qualities as well. <laughs> Guess what I do for adventure? I hang glide on a Dorito, which is so freaking hilarious. Um, sometimes people say that my head is too big for my body and I say, compared to what? <laughs> He's a shell. He's a tiny shell. A shell. He's got like one eye. My one regret in life is that I'll never have a dog. (laughs) And then there's a clip of him with a dog and it's like, all he cares about is treats. Treats and snoozing. Look at him. Treats and snoozing. Snoozing and treats. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) He could be talking about me. Yeah. Or our cats. Right. (laughs) So... Yeah, I, I thought it was super adorable. And a little, yep, yep. Little, he's only got one eye. Yeah, sticks in the. But he's got shoes. Yeah, but he's wearing shoes, so I was super jazzed about that. And that 
that's all I got today. That's adorable. <laughs> Our cell to shell is is so wholesome. Yeah, like th- that and like, I don't know, just the meme culture that came, like his lo- those popped out like later. It wasn't when like they had things like end of the world. Like, right. It wasn't like the flash. The llamas with hats llamas. on. Yeah. But it's still in the same vein of things that will make me happy. Yes. And it's like, ah, oh, gotta watch some Marcel. <laughs> De- definitely more uh, wholesome than the llamas with the hats on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I cooked them up and ate them. <laughs> Uh, I got uh, yeah, Let me try that again. I think my serotonin boost this week is the fact that so a couple of weeks ago, um, I went to load up the Xbox to play some Rocksmith, and uh, it gave me the three red rings, yeah. which usually means your red your Xbox is dead. Um, I started taking some look a look around, and I saw that Lou had knocked something onto the power supply, and there was a part of that that was chipped and, and a little broken. So I started poking around on the internet, and I actually took the whole thing apart just to clean it and to try and get the disc out in case it was broken. But I discovered through uh, uh, Reddit that there's a thing you can do where if you hold and, and maybe people listening don't know this, uh, if, you're, if your Xbox 360 is red ringed, if you hold the button that syncs the Bluetooth controller mm-hmm. to, the, to an Xbox and then you hit the eject button, mm-hmm. the red rings will, will flash mm-hmm. and they'll, so code. they'll flash one, a two, a three, or a four. Mm. And you do that four times to get a four-digit code, and then you can look up on the internet what that four-digit code says is exactly going wrong with the Xbox. Yeah. And the one I had said that the power supply was bad. So I was like, okay, well, replacing a power supply is a lot cheaper than replacing an Xbox. Yes. So over the weekend, I found a, a power supply and, and plugged it in, and it works. Woo! I'm back. I'm back online. We can play Rock Band again. Yay! So... Yeah, I was. Super, it makes me happy. I was super bummed when I saw that it was broken, and then even more bummed when I realized it was my dumb cat <laughs> that did it. I love him, but he's dumb. Yeah, and you know, I was I wasn't mad at him. No, fine. But I I will be continuously apologizing for the rest of my life for Lou. Yeah, probably. And you know, it is what it is. Until you decide that you're done apologizing for. Him. Yeah, I mean. He's he's a sweet boy, but he's also a menace. He is. He's a criminal. <laughs> but we still love him because we're his parents. Yes. And we love you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this week for the Really Big Fan Podcast. As always, check us out on social media. Let your friends and family know how much you enjoy hanging out with your favorite nerd couple. And, uh, and join us on Twitch Wednesday afternoon slash evenings around 7 o'clock is when we record this show. And then the podcast goes up a couple days later. And as I said at the top of the show, if you want to go over on Patreon, throw some money at us so we can continue to do this uh, before all our equipment breaks, we'd really appreciate it. For five bucks a month, you get an additional podcast with me and Mike Pandoff talking about movies. So uh, that's all I got. That's all I got. All right. That's it for this week's really big fan pod. Congratulations on the serotonin. Congratulations on the serotonin. There you go. Smell you later, fam. See ya. Hello. We're back. We're on Twitch again. Can you give me Yoda? Yoda? Yeah. You can have Yoda. Thanks. Right back here. Thanks. You know, hold up your back.
Gotta have a squishy. You want chewy too? That was suspenseful, wasn't it? Hi. <laughs> I'm sorry that this camera is. I'm not... afraid to move your laptop because the camera might drop yeah, out. Yeah, freaking. So I'll just lean over and say hi. Make sure that you subscribe to our Patreon so we can get gear that isn't ghetto. We can replace some of this stuff. Yeah, because our, our our gear is kind of ghetto. Yeah, it's 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 dying on us. <laughs> Yes. Okay.